Melican. Hello and welcome to Misfits on Vinyl. My name is Spencer Strikert. I'm an actor, comedian, and one of your hosts. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm also one of your hosts. Aaron is also an actor. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. Like I said before, I, I act every weekend like I love you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yes, you act like yeah. you want to be here. Yeah, it's true. It's very true, actually. Um, all right. So uh, uh, this is uh, the second episode, re- third episode we're recording this yes. weekend. And today we have a very special guest on. We actually have two guests, but they're a part of one band. We have, all the way from Los Angeles, California, the Doohickey. Woo! <laughs> Hello! Woo! Thank you so We're much for coming on the show. Too. We're super excited to have you guys on. Thanks, Thanks for having here. us. Um, okay, so before we get started, we have to do this because uh, our official, non-official sponsor of the podcast, Cabin Brewing, has given us some Sunshine Rain IPAs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we got to crack those open. Um, they're... I think I've had this before, not on the podcast. I, yeah, I've had it before, too. Poured into our record mugs. Our record mugs, uh, because... We are cool like that, and I have a record mug again, because a couple of weeks ago, actually, uh, Jack, this was during the episode we were doing with Forrest, uh, I went to pick up my mug, and the handle just (laughs) fell off, and I spilled beer all over my lap, (laughs) and we hadn't quite figured out how to do anything with guests yet, so everything that could have went wrong went wrong in the first five minutes of that podcast, including me having to sit in my own beer for... An hour. <laughs> yeah, Forrest was really understanding and nice about it. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was actually kind of surprising. Forrest was very kind. Yeah. No, I was shocked. I would have expected him to just go in hard. About oh yeah. The quality of the mugs you'd buy, and like you know. <laughs> I thought like he was gonna get mean. Dig into. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, the Doohickeys are a cheeky country band from los angeles um and i wanted to ask you guys because you guys have a few singles out uh but you don't have an album so my very first question i'm kind of jumping out of order here but do you guys have an album in the works that you're looking to do i'll let jack answer that one because it's uh, sort of <laughs> yeah it's it, it, we're we're in talks about what's the smartest approach to do it right now because it's like do we keep doing live stuff or do we do a full album do we do an ep so we also need to find a producer we really like too because mm-hmm. the producers make a huge impact on everything um because our, our two singles we have out right now we just we did them in our friends bedrooms you know they're, they're the bedroom records so we'd want to go somewhere proper and record it properly um so we just did figure out the cost and like what we really need out of it uh, before we really commit so we're we're in talks to do something no, that makes sense. And, I guess toying with the idea of an EP first. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I love I love the idea of you guys dropping an EP because I've been I've honestly been listening to your music a lot lately. Like ever since uh, I wish my truck was bigger came out, I I started just adding your songs to my regular playlist. So it's kind of funny because I'll be at the gym and I'll be listening to like <laughs> some Twenty One Savage, and all of a sudden it'll just be like this town sucks comes on. And I'm like, and I'm like every time I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to skip it because I know how Spotify pays like shit, and I want to make sure that everybody gets paid regardless. So I'm going to listen to it while I finish my raps. Spotify Robin Hood here. There you go. I'm a a Spotify Robin Hood, okay? Well, I did – I don't know if you guys have uh, ever done this with your music, but here's a really fun hack. Um, If you have a VPN and you don't have, like, uh, a paid Spotify subscription, if you just loop one of your tracks – 
and just leave it on mute, it will start trending on Spotify. And it's amazing how quickly that happens. <laughs> That's great. Oh, shit. All right. You gotta do this, I might Jack. do that tonight. Yeah, might go get too. a fake account. <laughs> my boyfriend had like a, a vpn for iceland because that's where he's from so we could just put it on in iceland and have a really big fan base there in one person works for me man that's kind of how we became the go. number one music history podcast in chile yeah. so yeah yeah <laughs> oh, my one chilean right. friend <laughs> good secret <laughs> um okay. it's funny when we when the, when the song first went out uh we were curious like okay who's gonna like because you know it, Spotify will automatically put songs afterwards mm-hmm. of what they think is similar. But for the first couple of weeks, Spotify's like, oh, we don't know what's similar. It's just going to stop and we're not going to play anything. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <That's fun. laughs> so then, so then it started, started to like what people were listening to, like our friends would listen to. So it'd be like, like I wish my truck was bigger. And then it'd be like a techno song. Like, what? <laughs> How are these? The fan base is not consistent in these songs yet so now now the algorithms finally caught up and there's songs that sound pretty awesome actually that come afterwards that's actually so funny because my uh one of the artists that's like uh you know how spotify shows like artists Mm. that you may also like uh one of the ones under mine is owen benjamin and i'm like who is listening to my comedy and owen benjamin's comedy like who is this person (laughs) the guy from um uh, Alex Jones is that the same guy. Uh, yeah, I think he's banned from Alex Jones okay. because he's too crazy for oh, Alex that's, Jones. Uh, that's good. That's yeah, a good, that's a good category to be that's, put in. Yeah, he like lives good in sound. the woods yeah. and <laughs> yells at people. Nice. That's smart. That's great. That's good for you, Spencer. Yeah, it's really good. In a good group of circle. Anyways, uh, one of the things I want to get back to uh, because I couldn't really find uh, a clear answer on this online anywhere, but I wanted to know like how did you two meet and how long have you two been a band? That's a great question. Yeah, Jack and I met in college. We were both part of kind of the comedy scene at USC. And we started working together on some satirical news projects. We did a show called The Breakdown together, which is really how I think our friendship started to solidify. Um, And then, yeah, then we, we just kept being friends. And then once, like last year at Halloween, Jack had a Halloween party. I went over. And I realized that his playlist was entirely country music, and I was very excited. I hadn't been to a party out in oh, L.A. Where... section of the house had different playlists, and so I couldn't get country in the main room, so I had to have it in my room <laughs> when I wandered in. Exactly, I which was a wonderful celebration for me. I hung out in the bedroom the whole time uh, with a few of our other friends that love country music, and we just had the same taste in country music. We both... Like, like the a crossover of our albums that we like and what we didn't like was lining up. And uh, we just talked definitely about maybe the, we. Yeah, what? Definitely, definitely the didn't, didn't like. That didn't like. Yeah, we had a lot that we didn't like that overlapped. <laughs> and so we, uh, yeah, we just started to uh, brainstorm. He had an idea for a, a song that he wanted to do as a sketch. And I thought it was funny. It was I Wish My Truck Was Bigger. Uh, which you've mentioned, and yeah, we sat down to write it, and we had a good time, so we wrote another one, and we had a good time, so we wrote another one, and then we kind of realized, hey, maybe we should do this more as not just a sketch and and make it a, a project. So, so yeah. then uh, I guess I guess my my next question is because like you guys are both involved in comedy, so is that why you have what you have defined as cheeky country? Like, was that a big inspiration for it? Like. 
to to take an angle that honestly there's not a lot of like there's not a lot of like uh what i would say is like good music that is also funny you know and so like you guys have like kind of nailed this this genre so was that a big reason why you went with like the cheeky country route instead of trying to be like traditionally like a a country artist that's like doing ballads you know yeah i think historically country music has a lot of funny songs sprinkled in um it's kind of one of those genres where you're allowed to be funny unlike some others i think some you're allowed to do whatever you want in art, but it's like, I think country in general has people who are trying to go for the funny songs. Dolly Parton has some really funny stuff. And uh, Hank Williams, you go back to the old greats and they were writing kind of comical songs. And so I think we both just gravitated towards those kinds of songs because we are comedians. And uh, yeah. And all the earnest stuff that I was writing was just so cringy. It's just like I need that, I need that level just to just to undercut it, just just something. Because if it's too sincere, it just it it hurts. Like, I, I think it can be. Like, <laughs> Go ahead. I just I think it's embarrassing because when I when I started working for Jim, he he is made so uncomfortable by like earnesty and sincerity um which explains a lot but like that's something he and i kind of share so like once he's like oh i hate this i'm like great you're never gonna get it from me again later um and so yeah whenever anyone shares anything like really earnest or sincere with me i'm like like, stop it's fine just just like say hi and move on like please um so i think that's also why the comedy just needs to undermine something just because it's just always a good safe fallback kind of lack of emotional depth I really enjoy. I agree. I think in college, my note often, I studied acting, and my note often was, does everything have to be a joke with you? And I think it solidifies what (laughs) makes me happy. (laughs) (laughs) So that uh, that makes me think of when we were, we both studied acting in in university, and I remember at one point, it was like my second year, I took myself so fucking seriously. Oh, God. I think I was wearing turtlenecks and like fucking like. <laughs> oh, God. I, looked like, I was like smoking uh, cigarettes outside oh. in a turtleneck. I was like, God, I was such a fucking tool. Like, <laughs> I, I was also in, in the same boat where like I, uh, in my first year of university, I had an, a, like, you know, success is on a scale but in university like i was in all the main stage plays in my first year so i kind of like put myself on a bit of a pedestal and i started taking myself way too fucking seriously Mm -hmm. and then everything that i wanted to do was like very dramatic and i'm like honestly i just have to be so grounded when i'm doing this work and it's like oh you douche you didn't have to do that Um, okay, so to go back uh, to go back to your guys' writing then, how much of a shift is it from, like, joke writing to songwriting? Like, in, in how your, I guess, how your process is with the writing? I think... Yeah, we uh, so we don't know who, who wants to start. Um, I'll go, because um, I did stand-up a lot. So, to me, it was a, an easy transition, because... A lot of the stuff I like to do on stage that didn't work ended up lending itself to, like, song lyrics a lot better. So, like, kind of my voice and how I like to phrase things work better in song form. Um, Because you you also have a little bit of – you have a backing track. There's other elements to it to help sell the concept versus just the words by themselves. Because a lot of the material I wanted to do and stand up, I – couldn't deliver as a person it wasn't it didn't match what i was saying didn't match 
my, you know, my persona or whatever. So I had a lot of trouble with that. So the music adds like another element uh, for me to like kind of, I guess, hide behind. Um, but then like, I love turns of phrases. Like I always try to do kind of Seinfeldy bits with like, you just hang on one word and you keep inverting it and whatever. And a lot of country songs like to take ter- words of fra- turns of phrases and turn them on their head. Got a lot of turns in there. Um, <laughs> yes. Ramble. But yes. Yeah, I think I, I agree. I think it, it was an easier transition than I expected. I think I was always writing kind of serious, earnest songs in my free time that I didn't want to show anybody because I didn't feel exciting to show people. But comedy was something I always wanted to share with people because I like making people laugh. And I think the idea of having one central idea in the joke kind of applies to this to a song, too. It's like finding one idea that you're going to hit a bunch of times over the head in a verse or a chorus or a bridge and uh, you're sticking, it, it's nice to have one joke that you're sticking to and fleshing out, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, our, our sketch background has really helped with that because it lets every song be extremely focused. If we're like, oh, this is off game, we're like, all right, cut it, who cares? Because we've, we've written so many sketches in our lives and just know like, yeah, it's a good joke, but it undermines the whole premise. So you just nip it out, put it somewhere else. You can write another song or write another sketch. Um, so all that training kind of helped us be able to just focus everything and I think because there's two of us, it helps too with us just getting it done. Um, I think I, yeah. I don't know, I write a bunch and can show it to Jack and Jack can point out this is on game, this isn't on game and vice versa. And then we we finish stuff a lot yeah, because, <laughs> say that again? I said, this is good, this stinks, keep going, you're doing good, <laughs> you're doing bad. Yeah, exactly. It but it's nice helpful, we, we were honest with each other about it. Yeah, so. that's nice that you have that honesty between you when you're when you're working on something together. Because sometimes I've been in projects where you can't feel like you can actually fully speak your mind, and you might have an opinion on something, yep. and you you know you don't say it, and because you're nervous, or you're gonna hurt somebody's feelings, whatever it may be. But you know, and at the end of the day, if you can walk away from something and move on, um, that's a sign of being you know. Um, a, a great artist you can say okay maybe that didn't work i'll take jack's advice or i'll take you know and i'll move on right that's a that's a great thing to have in a partnership i also think it's nice that you guys uh have the comfortability to like be able to like fail freely with each other because i think that like when you when you try something and it doesn't work that ends up making something way better in the end you know um like and i think maybe yeah. this goes back to like joke writing but how often are you doing like stand up and you're writing a joke and you go through it and like it's just not fucking clicking and so it's like if you're able to fail though with those jokes mm-hmm. and like and and find out why it's yeah. not clicking but to have that immediate uh back and forth with somebody that you're creative with that's got to be incredible oh it's the best yeah it's great i really trust jack's opinions and i think it it goes both ways where we just feel comfy shouting out what works and what doesn't and i think like for example this town sucks i came with him to him with all the lyrics pretty much written but without a chorus and i was like i don't know what these words are saying do you know what the central idea is here and he goes yeah this town sucks <laughs> and it was, that's what the song was and it's what it needed and we just the sometimes terrible. there's a meeting of the minds say that again the town just sounds fucking terrible <laughs> yeah because um, yeah, there's times where i'll be like hey i just had this great idea for a song and i'll pitch it and she'll go huh I go, all right, that one's no good. Cancel, <laughs> cross it out, delete, 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 delete. 
I mean, we've written a lot of songs people will never ever hear or see. Uh, oh yeah, we have a work in progress folder with over thirty songs in it that are either half baked, have a couple words on it, and we're just bailing on them because they're just they're not there, <laughs> not even close to ready. We've had like three songs that we've we have, basically our, our Google Drive is we have work in progress, rough draft, and completed. And there's been three songs we've had that were incompleted, and then when we played them just with each other, we went no. We put them back to rough draft or even work in progress because they're like, these just don't work. Put them away. <laughs> um, and it's just sometimes it's just sometimes it's just like the premise just isn't quite solid or like you're working with too many ideas or the melody's weird and like because kind of the tricky part is making the sound of the song match the words of the song, mm. and it's sometimes hard to to crack that combo. Yeah, and I could definitely understand that because the you know when you're adding that layer of music to it, like it 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 does change the tone completely. Yeah. Um. So this is a this is a side note question, but I uh, I grew up in a, a small town in southern Saskatchewan, which is very similar to like southern America. Like it, it it's it, honestly like we have a weird thing in where I'm from where everybody's accent sounds like North Dakota and Louisiana had a baby <laughs> and it oh, yeah. it is well, fucking good. atrocious. It's like hockey bros meet like yeah. meets like the fucking Cajun dude. Like it's just fucking weird. Um, can you do it? Can you do the accent? Ah, oh, fuck. Oh, he's I, bad with impressions. I'm real... Get ready for this. Do your Boston. Do your Boston. Oh, yeah, I got, a, I got a good Boston. Are you guys ready for my Boston? Yeah. 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 I'm from Boston. It's wicked fucking departed. I'm from Boston. Holy Lord. <laughs> so bad. Aaron told me not to do that. And I did that in an audition. So <laughs> yeah, he was like, he was like, dude, what do you think of my Boston oh, no. accent? <laughs> and I was like, no, it's not good. It's not good. Don't do it. And he went and he fucking did it. <laughs> no, but the, the, the hey, you try the, and you fail. It's part of it. Yeah, it's part of the process. You gotta <laughs> fail once in a while. I also one time uh, was auditioning for a sketch TV show in Toronto. And I told Aaron the bit that I was going to do, and it was uh, Scooby-Doo and Shaggy having sex. And he was like, don't do that. Don't do that. That's a horrible idea. And I did it. And I didn't even get, like, anything from these people. They were so stunned that I would go there. So I I don't exactly nail that most of the time. Did you do the full-body bidet for that, too? I did do the full-body nice. bidet for that, nice. yep. We, we had this bit worked out where we were talking about the full-body bidet, like, if, if people come over to our house because uh. we were poor and we ran out of toilet paper and we we're like you know if you come over to our house like we have this thing the full body bidet you just gotta take your pants off stand at the back of the shower and just reach up yeah <laughs> yeah no I, I, like I came, yeah i came up with that because we ran out of toilet paper and i was like oh you just you know people can use the full body bidet yeah fuck <laughs> I forgot about that until right now. Uh, that yeah, is uh, awful. We were, we were very That's poor. That's fantastic. We were so poor. Um, okay, so uh, back to the back to the growing up in a in in a southern fucking environment. Um, so uh, Haley, you're from Missouri, and Jack, you're from Georgia. So what do you think like having that like southern influence has had on like your music or your creative process? I'll go first. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think growing up in Missouri really steeped me in some good country music. My parents both were professional musicians at some point in their lives, uh, but always country or Christian artists. And so um, I grew up with a lot of just really great 
great music around me uh, that I don't know if I would have gotten anywhere else. And I think I think it really helped me know what I liked in terms of music and what I what I thought was good country music versus what we both hate on in our spare time. Um, but I think, yeah, I think being around really grounded culture was was nice for me as a kid. I liked growing up in Missouri. Um, even though I talk about this town sucks, I try to joke that it's about independence, which is the nearest slightly bigger town than Liberty um, <laughs> because I offend everybody in Liberty when I say it's about Liberty. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I like growing up in Liberty. Yeah. Um, I didn't listen to country music until a couple of years ago. My parents weren't into it. We did Southern Rock, so we did like Almond Brothers and Leonard Skinner and that kind of stuff. Um, but I, when I was in Georgia, because my mom's from Miami, my dad's from New York, so we just rejected like almost like everything Southern we could. Like we did monster trucks and like tried NASCAR, just couldn't get into it. We weren't fishing people. Like we just couldn't get into the vibe down there. And I fought my entire life to never say y'all. I still don't say it. Um, I just was, I just didn't like everything around me until I moved out of here <laughs> and I really, <laughs> I missed some of it. Um, and like coincidentally, I was in Austin for a stand-up show with Todd Glass and I was on Spotify. I was listening to my Jimmy Buffett stuff and a song called Drinking Problem, Drinking Problem came on by Midland. I went, well, what the hell is this? And I just listened to everything else Midland had and I went, these guys freaking rule. What is this? Is, is this what country music is? This is what I've been ignoring? Oh, shit. So then I just went in deep on all their influences and then uh, fell in love fast. But I, I always hated the pop country. That's what I hated so much. Um, and there's there's good stuff every once in a while. But, like, most of the stuff that's playing on the radio, I want to I wanna die. Yeah, no, we, we, we crap on bro country quite a bit here. Like the, oh, the snap yeah. beats and then like the, the singy talky thing, man, it drives me crazy. Girl, you got those long legs <laughs> yeah. and you're tanned up and you're right in the back of my pickup. Yep. It's just like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yep. And that's every song on the goddamn radio. No, it's every song. You guys go party and mode? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. That's, um, yeah, there's a big country music culture here. Like, there's a big country music festival outside of Calgary here in town, and it's all bro country. Every year, it's either Luke Bryan or Florida Georgia Line every single year. People eat it up, but it's never clicked with me. But it's also really funny because I will say Calgary has a really strong singer-songwriter influence here. That's true here. as well, yeah. You know, like, we have, and we do have really good country artists from, like, literally just outside of the city. Like, we got Cor Blund, we got Paul Brandt. We got like, you know, these some of these really amazing singer songwriters. And then, I mean, it, it, shout out to Saskatchewan and especially southern Saskatchewan. We got Coulter Wall now, mm -hmm. who is, I think, arguably one of oh, the best yeah. country artists going right Damn now. Damn right. Yeah. Even um, Orville Peck. Too. Where's Shania from? Is it Canada? Yeah, she's, she's Canada. Uh, you don't Ontario. have to be from the south to be good at country. No, yeah. that's true. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, she's from Ontario. Timmins, yeah. Ontario. Shania Twain's from. Yep. Yeah, Orville Peck, One of my too. Favorite I really country. like his stuff. Yeah, know. Orville Peck is great. Um, yeah. Also, he was supposed to play Calgary Folk Fest a few years ago when the pandemic happened. Mm. It was supposed to be Orville Peck and the I'm National funny. as the headliners, and yeah, I was that's, like, that's a good line, oh, that would have been so fucking good. Um, okay, so getting back to your songwriting here, um, 
when you get an idea for a song, how long does it take you from like, like how long is the process from spark of an idea, like maybe a line or just a, a premise to having a completed song? I guess it just depends on the song for us. I, for, for some of the songs, like all hat, no cattle, one of our songs, I think I wrote the lyrics in maybe 30 minutes. Um, wow. And I brought him to Jack and Jack liked him. He tweaked him a little bit. We, we got some input and then it took us maybe like eight months to get the music where we wanted it to be, <laughs> to match the lyrics. So it just, so it I don't know. Like yeah, no we, idea. Yeah. It was just, it, it had to be with a full band. And once we got the full band with the pedal steel and the drums and the bass in, we kind of were like, Oh, we're realizing what this song needs to be. But other songs we've written, like in an afternoon, sometimes it takes a couple weeks. It just depends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have anything to add. To I that. honestly feel like all the songs that we like and like to play, like were written, like I think the idea would come and they were like, I can't stop writing until this thing's done. I think that's like, I think all the songs in our recent set list have been that because the ones that we labor over and stuff, we're just like, there's something not clicking and it's not coming through very clear for some reason. I think that's why we have that big folder of nothing. It's just like, maybe one day we'll come back to these songs and, the inspiration will come but i think a lot of it and tom petty talks about it. everyone talks about it it's like the songs just hit you like a bolt of lightning and you're like oh shit that's what it is and you just have to you follow it and you, you'll have like a rough draft you might tweak you might change a line you might like alter the bridge but like generally it's kind of all done in like like that which is the song um uh, bruce springsteen song uh dancing in the dark uh that whole that song only exists is because they were like, okay, you only have nine songs on this record. You need a tenth. And he's like, well, come on, you can't start a fire without a spark. And he's like, oh. <laughs> and then he just wrote that whole song, which is about I can't come up with a fucking song. The whole song is he can't come up with a song, and he wrote one of the best songs ever. That is amazing because that's that. a throwback to our very first episode. Yeah, we did Born in the USA, our first episode. Our very first episode. Um, so you mentioned, you just mentioned All Hat, No Cattle. Um, and so I'm going to jump ahead here because that was honorably mentioned in the May and June edition of American Songwriter. So how how did it feel to get that kind of recognition? Like, you know, it, like you said, it's only been a couple of years that you guys have been a group. So how did it feel to get that kind of recognition early? Like, what did that do for your confidence and your creative process? I think it was definitely a confidence boost and a good, an indication that we were moving in the right direction by doing this project. Um, I think it was just some outside validation that that we had a good idea for for doing this stuff. And uh, I think it was it was a surprise to get it at all. There's there's a lot of people who enter those contests. We kind of I entered on a whim. I don't even know if I told you I was entering it, Jack. And and nope. we just, you just said, hey, this thing got nominated. You're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just, I think it was, I was looking for any sort of feedback we could get from our music and our lyrics and stuff. And I, I don't know. I think it was, we've entered into a couple of different songwriting competitions where they give you extensive feedback and uh, we haven't heard back yet, but Mm -hmm. I do think it's, it's useful to just have people who are doing the thing uh, give you input on your stuff too. Uh, I think collaboration in general is really the nice part of this art form that we we attempt because <laughs> we're also not really precious with our ideas after we're both from comedy so we're like okay if it doesn't work then let's go find the thing that works like you can't just harp on the same thing over and over um so we're totally fine like this line doesn't work boom gone this chord doesn't make sense gone 
or this whole song just doesn't fucking make sense. Okay, whatever. We'll write another one. It. Yeah. Doesn't matter. <laughs> um, I had something to add. All hat, no cattle. Um, well, all right. we've submitted other songs and <laughs> I haven't done as well. But uh, that song's like really like critical. I'm like, I wish my truck is bigger isn't gonna win shit. Like that, that's not gonna be a, a Grammy award winning song. I disagree uh, personally. I, well, thing <laughs> I, I relate quite a bit. I drive a small pickup truck. It uh, hit me. It hit me a little hard. Honestly, I had a I had a bit of a crisis personally. <laughs> yeah, Aaron a few Wait, weeks ago you? got fucking stuck and then had to come back and hang out here for a few hours. I got until stuck the on a, truck I got came. stuck on a hill in my fucking pickup truck because oh, no. it was icy. Because it was icy. Yeah, it just started rolling backwards. Yeah, it was miserable. <laughs> so then he came back and we played Mario Kart because he couldn't drive for real in that moment. Yeah, I <laughs> I had, to, I had to work on my driving. <laughs> okay, so uh, I want to I want to ask this question. And it's kind of a bigger one, but like your music, like you obviously have like inspiration and influence from some of the country legends, um, but you have like tinges of like '90s composition in there, and it's like that early '90s, like really cool fucking sound. Mm-hmm. So, what are your what would you say are your like big musical influences? Jack, you want to take this one first? Yeah, well, you know, I got my Southern rock background, so I got all those rocking guys. And then, but also before I was playing country, I was I, was, I delved deeply into blues music, and I, I have a sketch about it. And I about a blues guy who has had a wonderful life and has no songs to sing about. He has no sadness. <laughs> uh, and then in the sketch, entire family burns to death, and he finally has a song. Nice. Um, <laughs> So when I wrote that, I didn't know anyone who could do anything blues related, so I just had to act in it. I think I'm a terrible actor, but I had to do it. There's no, there's literally no one else who could have done that stupid role. Um, so I, I got into really guitar soloing, but then when I started hearing country soloing, it's a whole different animal. That's just, it's nuts. You're using all the fingers. It's called hybrid picking or chicken picking. Um, and like Brett Mason's like the guy. So like anything in the '90s, you mentioned '90s country. You're going to hear that twang. That it's like two dudes. It's Brent Mason and I forget the other guy's name, but it's like just those guys. Brent Mason is the number one most recorded guitarist in Nashville because he can do that sound. And so everyone else is just trying to rip him off, um, me included. Um, so that's why so many songs sound similar because you have the same guitarist playing on every record. Every Brooks and Dunn album is Brent Mason. Really? Um, he's even played Benaya. Uh, literally just go look this guy up. You're going to be like, holy shit, this guy's on everything. That's interesting. Totally. And that's- I think for me, the 90s influence comes in because that's when I was growing up and that's what was pop country music at the time. Uh, I think like Martina McBride and Shania and Carrie Underwood even into the early 2000s were staples in my bedroom and my boom box. Um, and so... I think, yeah, I think there's there's those kind of influences. And then we have the older ones that my parents really imparted on me with uh, Dolly Parton and some of these bigger, older names, Loretta Lynn and their trio album with Amy Lou Harris, Loretta, uh, Amy Lou Harris, Linda Ronstadt and Dolly. Uh, we're all just constantly in the background growing up. So I think they steep into our music, whether or not we want them to. <laughs> well, it's it's so funny because we're kind of doing the comedy thing. Uh, we, uh, we like to think we're kind of like a hybrid where it's like, yeah, uh, the lyrics are funny, but the music's still good. So even if you don't, 
I'm terrible at picking up lyrics. So even if you listen to the song, you're like, this is just a good song. I have no idea what it's about. And then afterwards, like, what, the, what are you talking about? He's talking about being broken up with in the carpool line. This guy doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, but so that that lends us to be able to just make fun of all the different categories of country. So we have we have bluegrassy sounding songs. We have old school country sounding songs. We have pop country songs. We have the whole gamut because we like songs in all the categories, and because we're kind of we're kind of making fun of some of the tropes, but also loving the tropes at the same time. So we can just really pick any decade. But because, you know, 90s were an influence, we're probably going to have a lot of kind of like Rocky influence on some of the songs. Yeah, well, and and I think it's funny, like the, the country artists that you mentioned, uh, Haley, like the 90s country artists, those are ones that I also grew up with. Like my mom was, you know, uh, blaring that stuff in the in the vehicle. But mm-hmm. I was listening the other day to uh, "I'm All Right" by uh, uh you know who I'm talking about? Jody Messina. Jody Messina. Yeah. And I swear to God, I think Great that song. might be the first country rap like <laughs> like crossover yeah. because like she is spitting <laughs> fucking bars in that song. Like everything up until the chorus is just like one long ass line and you're just like holy crap and then she gets into the chorus and she's like (laughs) belting out an absolute like banger of a chorus Mm. but it's so funny because like even even uh those artists you know looking at the the early 90s artists or mid 90s artists they even had a lot of influence in other genres but they did it in a way that was like i i think now it's more so that country artists are trying to be on the pop charts whereas back then country artists took inspiration from other you know genres and then they ended up in the in the pop charts just because the music was good you know mm-hmm. like you mentioned Brooks and Dunn uh Jack and like Brooks and Dunn I mean fuck me I I can't put on a Brooks and Dunn album and not like actually get into it because like there's there's so many bangers on every album you have like uh you have my maria you have uh red dirt road you've got neon moon you've got these amazing songs that are all sprinkled across so many different albums that all have different inspirations you know like neon moon definitely has that like almost like late 70s jazz influence to it where you're getting like this this like yeah. uh ballad-esque uh you know idea of like romanticizing a bar it's fucking beautiful <laughs> Absolutely. And I think what I love personally about country music is that it was it was created by people who didn't know what they were doing. Like back in the day, it was brought over, people brought over their fiddles from Ireland and playing these classical kind of songs or the Celtic music. And then they got here and they maybe didn't know how to learn it or to teach it. So they just taught it to themselves and they figured out and they created this country sound and this fiddle and this weird lack of technique. Right. Um, but it, it, it lends itself to like you can you can put anything in a country you can do anything with it brooks and dunn do it it really any influences can come in because it was just people doing what they could figure out and knew how to do or were taking things that they heard and putting it into songs and so i think i like continuing that tradition a little bit personally and then also the only reason electric guitars exist is because of country western swing because they're playing these huge halls and they can't amplify their acoustic guitars without getting a shit ton of feedback. So Fender, Leo Fender, figured out how to just do like electronic pickups and made the Telecaster, essentially. And 
So the Telecaster is a pure country guitar, and he made every other model of guitar, and everyone just started copying them and whatever. But that was just because of country western swing needed to, it needed to be heard in the back. Um, so country <laughs> electric guitars exist, which is kind of wild. That's insane. You wouldn't I think they came that. from country. Yeah. yeah. No, and then like yeah, and country started in like freaking L.A. too. Like it's a it's a West Coast baby. Electric guitars West Coast. (laughs) (laughs) That that puts an end to the East Coast West Coast argument. Yeah, the whole the whole rap beef is done too. It's done. Yeah, that that just yeah. You just made so much peace in the world. I'm gonna give you give you a prize, (laughs) (laughs) the Nobel Peace Prize. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, I I'm gonna uh, ask just a couple more questions for you guys here. Um, so uh. You've already, in like the short time you've been together, played some absolutely fucking incredible shows, and two of which I need to bring up is the Ryman Auditorium and the Bluebird Cafe, because both of those are iconic. But to be able to do both in wasn't it the same night? That's that's nuts. That's actually crazy. One weekend, yeah. One weekend. What the hell? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we both felt it was crazy too. I think it was wild that it happened that way uh yeah i still can't believe that it happened (laughs) yeah i mean it was we started doing this thing and then i was talking to forrest about it and he's like you should open for jim at the rhyme i'm like you think he'll let us he goes yeah i think so just invite him to like your next show and then i'll 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 pump you guys up because forrest heard us in like an instagram story once like you guys sound great What, what the hell so then we got on this show at the uh, hotel cafe called Writer's Block, which is like a singer-songwriter showcase, which is kind of what the Bluebird Cafe does. And we did three songs. Jim loved it. The crowd really enjoyed it. And then, like, the next day on the podcast, on Jim's podcast, he asked me if we wanted to open for him at the Ryman. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I won't pay you. Okay. I won't pay for your flights. Okay. And I won't pay for your hotel. You still want to do it? Yes. <laughs> um, so we figured it out. All of our families flew out because they're like, the Ryman? Okay. <laughs> and then Haley just emailed the Bluebird like, hey, um, you got any open yeah, slots? I... They're like, no. <laughs> yeah, they basically, I emailed them some of our music and they were just like, we don't have any open spots. Sorry, you need to book way in advance. And I was like, okay, cool. Keep us in mind if there's a cancellation. And then, like, two weeks before, they called us up and they were like, there was a cancellation. Are you guys still interested? And uh, it just, I think you just get stuff wasn't if you it, ask. But the, wasn't it, like, we were in Nashville when we got the email, I think. Oh, maybe it was. Maybe it was, like, think, three or four days before. I think it, yeah, I think it was, like, the day of the Ryman or something. We got the email going, hey, we got a cancellation. Are you guys still in? Yes. Wow. Yeah, truly. I remember I, then, was, I was, like, on Broadway and the email came in and... I was with my family and you were with yours, so I, I called you and said, Haley, right. look at your goddamn email. Look at the fucking email. Look at the email. Like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and then we had to tell our parents that they couldn't get in because it was already sold out. <laughs> <laughs> it was wild, yeah. I We made friends with Steve Goody, the guy who, who hosts the songwriter show, and he's coming out here in L.A. in a couple of months, and so we're going to do a joint show with him when he does at the Hotel Cafe um, in April. Yeah. Which will be fun. But yeah. it was it was just Yeah. Uh, I think I think we should out tomorrow, Haley. I think we should put the football one out tomorrow. Just so it's more okay. timely. But yeah. we have a song called I don't 
am about football, <laughs> um, which was we, we wrote it with kind of my mother's point of view in mind, which is just like the husband's just always fucking watching football because there's always a fucking game on <laughs> and it's all day. This is my mom's complaints every time I call her when she goes home. So we wrote this song about not giving a fuck about football because whoever the husband character is in the song doesn't pay any attention to the wife. And so we performed that at Bluebird. It was like, okay, this is kind of a weird concept of a song. And it was it was pretty funny because we, we, we shout out, hey, who here is a football fan? The place erupts. <laughs> Shocker. And then we go, is anyone not a fan of football? And seven very firm voices, all wives, went, fuck football. Yeah, screw football. <laughs> Woo. Like, okay, great. This is for you. Seven, and we <laughs> play it. We have a swear word in it, and he's like, "I think we should censor." I'm like, "Screw it! They know what they're getting into." We open for Jim Jeffries. It's the only swear word into. in any of our songs, though. I have to say, we no, we say shit. And fix it. Yeah, you okay. Shit. You're the only one swearing. I'm, I, I, I write all the swear words for you. Um, <laughs> I write songs, and uh, Jack is too much so of a sweet is, boy to swear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the line is, uh, every single day is always the same because every single day there's another fucking game. <laughs> and I think wraps up the concept of that song so well in, like, two lines. We're like, you have to swear. If you don't swear, like, I, it doesn't get the anger across. So Haley swore away all the confidence in the world. And then when we get off stage, the host gets back up there and it's like, yeah, you know, you're not supposed to say any of those words. Uh supposed to be a family-friendly show, but we'll just pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> But then I, there was like, all, you want to tell this part of the story? No, you go. Was, I'm, I'm emphasizing you over the yeah, video. There, there was a, a songwriting legend at the show because they always close their their songwriter nights with um, somebody who's written number one hits. And uh, the guy's name, Roger, what's his last name, Jack? Do you remember? Cook. He's escaping me right now. Roger Cook. There we go. Uh, Roger Cook, who's written number one hits for George Strait and Crystal Gale. Um, he wrote the Coke song that's like... Uh, I'd like to give the world a Coke, but he, they took the song from him. He'd written the original song, uh, but he pulled us aside after the show was over. And he was like, I like that you guys used that fuck word. Uh, so he was very <laughs> encouraging. <laughs> Validating. Yeah. Okay. I just uh, have we one more, he was great. one more question to ask you before we get into the album here. Um, Okay, right. so I've been watching a lot of your guys' covers, and uh, the one that I saw that I think it was a recent upload, PMS Blues by Dolly Parton, which, by the way, fucking amazing song, but you guys nailed that song, and the video is so fucking funny. Like, uh, like I'm not going to spoil it, but everybody needs to watch it, but one thing that I was going to say is that, like, that song I felt that one really showed off your vocal range, Haley, and Bloodsucker showed off Jack's instrumentation ability. So uh, I just had to throw that one in there because I just remembered it. But the guitar solo was fucking cool. Uh, but uh, uh, to get back to it, uh, what made you guys want to cover Dolly Parton? Heck yeah. I, that song is uh, – Dolly's my biggest influence probably. I think she's just – amazing and everything she does she's the nicest human being she's acts she sings she dances she uh raises money for kids and gives books to millions of american children she's just a, an angel on earth and uh 
So we already were looking to her songs just for our own influences. And I think PMS Blues was one I hadn't heard. And uh, when I heard it, I just got really excited. I was like, how have I not heard this Dolly song? I've heard every single Dolly song. And this one is one I didn't know until this past year. And I took it to Jack and I just said, I want to do this one. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty much the story of that guy. I was like, oh, yeah. Nail that blues guitar. I got that shit down. I know that whole rhythm section yes. in the back of my hand. It is kind of funny that you bring up. I mean, it's something that's like it slightly bugs me, but I know this is just how life is. Because it's like everyone will just go, "Haley's voice is amazing," and Jack, you got a guitar, man. I'm like, all right, I do have a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Haley's voice is fucking amazing. I'm, I'm just lucky. I'm just lucky she wants to perform with me. I can't play guitar like you at all, and I'm a great singer too. I'm passable. I can hit notes sometimes. I f- I think I figured out the songs I'm pitchy on. It's it's a new theory I have, Haley. You're hearing this live, folks. Oh boy, oh <laughs> when boy. we have chord changes underneath the lyrics, I find I'm pitchier because I think I'm having to adjust with the chord changes versus like, um, let's see, uh, like H O V. Where it's like one, like the verse line is all one chord, and then the next line is a whole different chord, and I can hit those notes a lot better. Maybe because my brain's not switching constantly when I'm switching my hands, so it's just something to to work on, I guess. But it's something I, was, I thought about in the shower today. We'll see how accurate it is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a theory. It's a theory. I like that theory. I mean, well, it is harder when you're re- patting your head and rubbing your tummy, right? You're doing all the things at once. It's mm-hmm. I I can't take guitar solos or. or feels like jack can in the songs because I, I my voice just won't keep singing so i think that's why i don't know how Haley does fiddle and sing at the same time like that's a whole other feat too sometimes i don't know how that happens either i think it's just luck <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it's well, it's nice i think we just balance each other well we both help each other bring each other up on on things that we both want to work on which um i mean jack's singing since we started even i'm just like blown away at your voice cracks and how you've manipulated your voice and learned to do it because you really didn't sing before we decided it's we wanted to do this. Voice crack. It's not the accidental puberty voice cracks. <laughs> it's, it's the purposeful country. voice cracks. The nope. country twangs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. There is a distinction. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, enough of your voice is always breaking on songs. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to I wanna just say before we get into the album, Everybody should go subscribe to the Doohickeys YouTube because that's mm-hmm. where you guys post the most tracks, it seems, uh, either covers or originals. So please go check yep. out the Doohickeys. Also, go and like and save the songs on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever you're listening to <laughs> and just put them on yes. repeat. Yeah, get a VPN and get a run VPN. it in the background run it for in the background. hours and hours and hours and hours. And you know what? Add in my album "Loser" by oh. choice as well, just just to help boost everyone. Fuck you! Okay? Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> it's not about you. We gotta Spencer. get Owen Benjamin off the algorithm, man. We gotta hook other. We gotta hook other things in. Yeah, <laughs> we can collaborate. Yeah, while you're at it, get a VPN as well yeah. and play Misfits on vinyl. <laughs> um, we love we love finding yeah this podcast yeah play our <laughs> podcast on repeat even if it's the same episode fourteen times we yeah, appreciate it that would actually help the algorithm yeah okay <laughs> so on Misfits on vinyl every mm-hmm. week we review an album we sure do sometimes it's one of our favorites sometimes it's a popular one sometimes 
it hits the Venn diagram of all three. Mm-hmm. And when we have guests on, we're like, hey, what album do you want to cover? Because that helps us expand our own musical knowledge. And as connoisseurs of music, we constantly need to do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the album that we are going to be reviewing this week is Casey Musgraves Pageant Material. Woo! Oh, he's got it on vinyl. Woo-hoo! Oh, shit. Jack's got it on vinyl. That's amazing. I came prepared. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. We don't have it on vinyl. We're just going to put it in post. Yeah, we're going to uh... put it in post. It's going to look like the vinyl is here. Like right now. <laughs> it's there now. <laughs> Through the magic of post-production. I don't know how that keeps happening every single episode. But... I don't know. It's weird. It's yeah, weird when we don't weird. have an album that it just shows up, yeah, honestly. Um, okay, so. Casey Musgraves pageant material. I'm going to get into the about the album here right off the top. It was released June 23rd, 2015 through Mercury Nashville. It is her second studio album, and it's a modern country album with some retro swing to it. It's got vocals that are more traditional, but it's also incorporating banjo, steel guitar, and some wind without being bro country. Mm. Um, Musgraves co-wrote all 13 tracks and co-produced the album with Luke Laird and Shane McNally. Uh, or McAnally? McAnally. <laughs> McAnally. 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 There we go. I said McAnally. It's yeah. spelled like McAnally. It is yeah. spelled like McAnally. <laughs> the, old, the old dollar menu from McDonald's. McAnally. The old McAnally. <laughs> <laughs> you can only get it at the back door. <laughs> All I know is that when I go to McDonald's, I can't have any McAnally. <laughs> no. A little... Definitely. Little little risky back there. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Anyways, it doesn't help that I'm illiterate. Um, um one thing I did want to say about <laughs> about this album, you you briefly touched on it, huh? so it brought it to my mind, is that she wrote, um, you know, all the songs, and it feels very genuine. Uh, I know she's from a small town, and um, the topic she's talking about is small town, but it actually felt like, you know. She lived those experiences. Sometimes you listen to albums, you know, there's like 15 fucking writers and the person singing about it. You're like, ah, I don't really believe it. You believe it. You believe it the whole way through. I mean, the little specific things she talks about. I mean, you can only live those sort of things like so. No, I uh, I really appreciate about the, this album itself. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah, she grew up in a trailer park in in uh, Texas, I think. It's like Roland, Texas, and she... Or is it Golden? Golden. Golden? Golden, yeah. It might be when it's Golden, yeah. And, uh, yeah, she just, she she grew up, she lived it. I think that's what makes Dolly and Loretta Lynn such staples that stick around is they also lived it. And I think Casey's one of those people who uh, is really good at translating her experience into a song, mm-hmm. which I love, yeah. And... Also, to, like, speak about the writing on it, uh, like, because she, obviously, like we've talked about, she's lived that experience, so it makes it a lot more clear, but she's also working with two of the best country songwriters that are going right now. Like, Luke Laird, uh, I wrote this down, Luke Laird has written 20 Billboard number one singles, including Eric Church's Drink in My Hand, (laughs) Give Me Back My Hometown, Kenny Chesney's American Kids, Rodney Atkins' Take a Back Road. He was a six-time Country Music Association Award winner, two-time Grammy winner, both with Casey Musgraves. 
and a six-time nominee, and his first job in the industry was as an assistant tour manager for Brooks and Dunn. <laughs> That's cool. Which, All right. you know, throwing it back <laughs> cool. to what we were already talking about. And then uh, the other uh, producer and songwriter on this album, Shane McAnally, uh, <laughs> is a producer, songwriter, uh, and he had success in the late 90s with his single uh, Are Your Eyes Still Blue, which peaked at number 31 on the U.S. country and number 47 on the Canadian country charts. Uh, but he's also produced for Little Big Town, Old Dominion, Kelly Clarkson, and John Legend, and is a songwriting mentor. Pardon? And Wheeler Walker Jr. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah, dude. He's best producers in town he's like made all of my favorite records it's nuts holy shit we gotta meet him <laughs> that's actually so i know we gotta meet this guy yeah maybe this is the guy that can produce your album <laughs> there you go <laughs> yeah. i mean Wouldn't that'd be the dream i mean i'm just saying if we put it out here we are the number one english speaking music history podcast in chile we have some poll we have some poll <laughs> We can help Heck set yeah. this up. We might be the only music only music history English speaking podcast in Chile that gets any views, but yeah, we have some pull in Chile. So too bad Shane McAnally. Yeah, yeah. I say you start by saying his name correctly, and yeah, then you, and then that, then that'll bring him bring him forward. You know, that'll bring him in on on this project. <laughs> That's step one. That is step one. Okay, so McAnally. McAnally. What is he like? <laughs> Halfway there. Halfway there, yeah. You'll get there one day. Okay, I'm actually now fucked because I thought it was McAnally and I was saying McAnally intentionally. <laughs> I've uh, I've heard you try to say Massachusetts. So. Yeah, I apparently can't say Massachusetts. Yeah, you did now. That's good. Oh, okay. Yeah, good. You did okay. I learned. Um <laughs> Okay, fuck me. And I think he's one of like the few gay producers, and I think he's like the first gay country producer to win a Grammy or something like really? that. Wait, really? That's awesome. Oh. Well, I go ahead. Read the... Don't say it. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'm just saying. Go ahead. Don't read the paper. Don't make a joke with the name. Read the paper. And his sexual preference, don't do it, be an adult. I know, that's what I I literally, I looked him in the eyes, and I saw where he was going. And that's when, uh, where you stop, Spencer. I love you, but you stop, you know? Read the, read the, read the, read the Google Drive. Read the Google Drive. <laughs> okay, so the banjo on the album yes. was Charlie Warsham who was formerly a part of the Old Crow Medicine Show and a touring artist with Taylor Swift and Dirks Bentley. Nice. Uh, steel Ooh. pedal guitar was done by Paul Franklin, and this is really crazy. He began his career in the 70s the as a member of Barbara Mandrell's road band, and in addition, he toured with Vince Gill, Mel Tillis, Jerry Reed, and Dire Straits. That's cool. Now, the craziest part about this, he's noted for bringing multiple musical innovations to the country music scene, one of these, the Pedabro, is a type of Dubro fitted with pedals and played like a pedal steel guitar, and it was invented by his father, wow. and the first of many records featuring this was Forever and Ever Amen by Randy Travis. Mm. So he invented this instrument, and it went to number one. That's cool. Right? No, that's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Heck yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, Haley and I saw Stapleton. Wait, really? Yeah. My 
my dad's a pedal steel guitarist. That's what he played professionally. And so I grew up steeped in Paul Franklin and, and all that stuff too. So it, it's fun to, to see that his career is so long and, and that he is really up. He's so good in everything that he does. Um, he's the guy you want to use. Paul. This is the Midland song, Mr. Lonely, the lead singer, Mark will yell, play that steel, Paul. And then the solo comes in. <laughs> wow so he's like oh, he's that Oops. deep into the like country history he's like, he's like the, the legend guy. he's like yeah that's fucking yeah. incredible it's nice to have that little extra insight because we do a lot of we do some basic research and you know but if we're not always familiar it's nice to have a little bit of a more insight into that that's cool it also helps that these two are smart and we're not. That's true. So that yeah. helps. <laughs> that also helps exponentially. <laughs> Used a big word to assert my assert my intelligence. How <laughs> smart we'd be doing or something like that doesn't require like us to invest everything. You know, like we're not that smart. <laughs> fair I mean, that's fair. We we're we're only it. doing a podcast about music history, and we know a lot. Yeah. Like, we learned stuff today, for instance. Yeah. Like, we learned uh, that Paul Franklin is the guy. Yeah. And we <laughs> learned that Shane McElhenney yes. is the, the guy gay <laughs> producer the in country guy. music to yeah. win a Grammy. Yeah. <laughs> See? We retain knowledge. It's great. We, we learn things. Uh, okay, so the album debuted at number three on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart with 60,000 units sold. And it sold 55,000 in its first week. <laughs> what the fuck are you guys laughing at? <laughs> Never mind. Go ahead, go ahead. Okay, Jesus, that threw me off. <laughs> what is going on? I apologize. Our producer just ripped a gnarly fart. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it looked like you farted. <laughs> Glad we're Sorry, I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it was a, it was a sneeze. <laughs> yeah, it was a sneeze that came out of That's his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize. Sorry, guys. <laughs> There's nothing like a good fart to make me laugh. Like every once in a while, you just need one. <laughs> Oh. Holy fucking shit. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go ahead. You want me to read? <laughs> no, I got it. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Real professional outfit we are. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. And we're back. Uh, Clip it. Right. <laughs> Love those ads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Manscaped. Manscaped's great. <laughs> Dude, these squatty potty ads are getting yeah, ridiculous. The squatty um, okay, so <laughs> fuck you guys. My God head, damn it. My head hurts. I was laughing so hard. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. So the title track from uh, the sophomore album, Pageant Material, which we're talking about, mm -hmm. uh, the idea uh, it uses the idea of pageant competitions to humorously recall Musgrave's expectations growing up in the South, not fitting in with how young Southern girls were expected to act, probably not farting. Um, and in a more yes. literal interpretation, <laughs> it also connects to Musgrave's early days on stage looking like a dime 
store cowgirl in a kid's band encountering stage moms and their spotlight groomed children. Um, what I think is insane is like a lot of those songs, uh, it, you know, it, 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 obviously I'm not a girl from the South, but I relate to a lot of the music that was on this album. And I was really happy that you picked this because a lot of times, you know, uh, when we have guests that pick an album, like we do learn about the album Mm -hmm. but uh this one was one that was completely off my radar and finding it was uh, like actually a joy because i was able to like i was like doing my dishes today and like i i realized i've listened to the album like five times and i know most of the words to the song Mm -hmm. and like i could relate to so many different things like dime store cowgirl is so relatable to me because i'm like yeah i moved away from that small ass town and then moved to a big city and fucking you know, it, it. You know, you do kind of find yourself when you get out of your comfort zone. Well, I, I was driving over here and I was like, "I'm still a girl from Golden." Had to move <laughs> away so I could. Like, like I fucking love that song. No, I had the similar experience. Like I grew up in a smaller province here in Canada, up on the east coast, and we grew up in small town. And then we moved out here when I was, you know, like. 11 years old and i had a big my eyes open to the big city same similar experience so it kind of brought me back to you know growing up and fishing and fucking doing the things you do in newfoundland right so. i can't look at you right now i'm gonna start laughing <laughs> it's again okay. it's okay fuck okay i'm, I'm so sore <laughs> <Or> being earnest <laughs> fuck me <laughs> okay uh <laughs> some of her influences on this album include marty robbins glenn campbell jim crouch Charlie Pride and Loretta Lynn, who she previously had opened for. Okay, um, I don't know how deep you guys are into like Marty Robbins and Charlie Pride type stuff, but my fucking god, Strawberry Roan is one of my favorite songs of all time. Like it's got to be in my top ten. And uh, Charlie Pride's "Kiss an Angel Good Morning," uh, like it's just such a sweet song that like I don't know. Uh, what is your experience with those artists? Yeah, my dad played him growing up a lot. I think uh, big fans of of all of Casey's influences. And I think that's what, I don't know. I really, I think what she does nicely is she takes kind of the, the relatability that all these people write about in their songs. And then she adds another layer of, of funny and subverting the the cliches that you might come about, uh, that, might, that, that might enter her songs. She always takes a cliche and then she undermines it um, in a really funny way. And so I think, yeah, you you hear that you hear all of those influences in her, and I love that. Yeah, one of my favorite lines she has is, and um, I think it's a, it's biscuits, it's pouring salt in my sugar won't make yours any sweeter. And I mean, I've never, I don't know if that's like an actual turn of phrase, but I love whatever the hell it is. And she has another version; it's like close, and she like flips something else in that song. Um, but she has some amazing lyrics in there that just are inspiring. Yeah, honestly, biscuits was she's just really like, good. At- such a fucking like uh uplifting song where you're like yeah it doesn't really matter what anybody else is doing i don't know this is a i guess this is kind of a question for you guys do you do you find like i've found in the past probably year i've gotten better as an artist because i've stopped giving a shit what anybody else is doing and i've just been having fun and it's amazing how like that song I I immediately was like, holy shit, I I know exactly what this feeling is, and it's I'm glad that it's actually something that somebody else is verbalizing. Yeah, I think she's she's one of those people who does exactly what she wants to do, and that's why I think she's been so successful, is that 
on her first freshman album that came out, uh, Same Trailer, Different Park, the label wanted her to lead with a different song than she did, which the, the lead song from that was a song called Merry Go Round. And uh, she was insistent that she lead with that song and that be the single from it. And it blew up and it was what really gave her the start of her career because she was so certain and had so much belief behind the song that she'd written. And I think she she continues to do that in uh, pageant material. She's got a song called uh, The Good Old Boys Club where she's directly mm. taking hits at Big Machine and Don't Want to Be a Part of Your Big Machine, and uh, which is a huge record label out of Nashville. And so she she's really just kind of doing whatever she wants and she doesn't care that it like might impact the way that Nashville record labels look at her or whatatever it is. I think she's... Or the she, Grammy consideration. Like she's not considered country anymore, mm-hmm. according to the Grammys. Well, I but was... she's writing great music that's resonating with people. So, yeah, don't care. I was familiar with, yeah. with, with with Golden Hour, and then I, you know, I hadn't listened to any of her other stuff. So this was a nice surprise for me too. And even touching on those same sort of topics, like Cup of Tea is the same thing. Talking about be who you know, be who you want to be. Like you never, you could be too bitter, you could be too sweet. Like who cares? Just be yourself. M- might as well make the tea the way you like it. Because, you know, it doesn't matter what exactly. the hell anybody else like, thinks. Right? It feels like the entire album pretty much. Yeah. It's just like, I'm going to be whoever the hell I am. Late to the party is, I'm late, and the party's over, and I don't care. Because I'm with you, pageant materials, I'm who I'm going to be. Yeah, everything is just like, fuck you, this is who I am. That's like every song in this album, now that I'm looking at it. But she sings it so Truly, nicely. I didn't maybe catch that through line beforehand, but it really is... I think what makes her such a fun artist too is that she is staying so true to herself and mm-hmm. leaning into the the jokes and the weird quirkiness of her own person. So, yeah. And weed. And, and weed. weed. She has a lot of weed references in all of her stuff. <laughs> My hair is never she as high as I am. Made me laugh really hard. Yeah, me too. I was like, I was like, I fucking relate, sister. <laughs> yeah, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. uh Let's get into the about the artist here. Uh, I just have a few points about her that I thought were really interesting. Um, so we've already mentioned, like, she grew up in Golden, Texas. It's like 200 people live there, yeah. Yeah, like, it, very similar to, like, my hometown of, like, 500 people. My graduating high school class was five kids. So mm. uh, very fucking... What the hell? Yeah. And Teeny tiny. The nice thing is, though, I can always say that I graduated top five in my class. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. What an accomplishment. That is that is where I can pat myself on the back. And I won a bunch of scholarships number five? too because nobody else applied. And that was the only reason. It wasn't because I was smart. It was because the other people that I graduated with were lazy. That's all. Spell scholarship. Oh, wow. fuck you. I, uh, scholarship. S C H O L. No. Wait, no, there is no there. S C H O L A R S H I P S. Okay, honestly, if it wasn't for spell check, I would be so you just, bad. You just convinced me you earned those scholarships. I yeah. really did earn them. <laughs> yeah, you did. It, it's really bad. They when- say spelling has. I was just saying they say not, spelling has nothing to do with intelligence is what I've heard as someone who also can't spell, but I use that as a badge of honor. Exactly. Okay, who does I'm, that? People who can't fucking spell? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm possibly dyslexic, so you never know. <laughs> I, I I feel like I am a little bit dyslexic because when I'm looking at names, when we write them down, I'm not going to lie. I have to space them out sometimes well, well, to actually like I, I, figure out I, how they're said. I, to- I told you the story about I was at, I was at work 
and my coworker was reading my handwriting and she was like, are you dyslexic? <laughs> She's like, my daughter has dyslexia and your writing looks just like hers. And I'm like, no, I'm a 24 year old grown ass man. <laughs> like, like, I just have like bad. <laughs> she was like, yeah, you look like you have dyslexia. I was like, uh, should I go get tested? Like, <laughs> I had a bit of a crisis there too. First it was my truck. Then it was my writing. <sighs> oh God. It's been an emotional couple of days. Haley's saying that the, the only reason the font comic sans exists is because it's for dyslexic people. Yeah, that's yeah, what, that's, it's that's what I wrote on my university paper. Who... Well, <laughs> you know what? Dad. I didn't know that before. That's fucking incredible. <laughs> Makes sense. It's why everybody I mean, everybody hates on the font, but it's actually a useful one, especially for notes home to children from their first grade teachers and stuff like that. Okay, <laughs> that's this what is, I associate it with. This is not a. Excuse me. Oh God, that was gross. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was. God, that came from a deep part inside me. Nice. Um, uh, this is not uh, uh, necessarily a topic for all the air uh, today. God, everybody is just gassy right yeah. now. This is a gassy room. Yeah. <laughs> We're fucking exploding. Crack a window. <laughs> God damn it! This is for you, Katie. Oh God. Uh, okay, I'm gonna move on. Fucking uh, yeah, move uh, on. Okay, so. <laughs> She was, uh, her, her dad is the owner of a small printing business, Mprints Printing, Inc., in uh, Minola, Texas. Shout out to Mprints Printing, Inc. for all your printing needs. Uh, and uh, Karen oh. Musgraves, uh, her mother, was an artist. Uh, so she stated that she was born six weeks prematurely and weighed only five pounds. And she has one younger sister who is a photographer. Oh, cool. Um, so she began songwriting at eight years old. Learned how to play music on the mandolin, which, funny enough, that was my first instrument, too. Um, and then at 12, she started taking guitar lessons from a local musician named John DeFore, who she later described as one of the most important things that ever happened to her. Along with another one of the students in the school she went to, Elena Tatum, she was a part of a children's country music duo, Texas Two Bits, which toured through Texas and released an independent album in the year 2000. So, wow. she's literally been Love in the that. industry her whole life. I never knew that. That's awesome. I had no clue I, that that happened, that she had a child album. She did. That's great. Not only one, she also had two, because then, when she was 14, her parents funded her first, like, independent album that she released solo. Um So then, in, uh, in 2006, she graduated high school and moved to Austin, Texas, uh, to pursue music there and honestly like Austin is kind of like Calgary in a lot of ways where there is like there is a vibrant scene in the mm -hmm. arts but it's very like secular right like people can blow up there and be known in that area but which which we touched on quite a bit with like we did a Towns Van Zant episode same sort of thing he was really big yeah. in Texas Not big right. in Austin and it took his whole life to really blow up outside of that that sphere right yeah, um, he had to take a poncho mm -hmm. and a left turn to get there. Yeah, nice. Oh, nice. Okay, I'm proud of that one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, so uh, in 2007, she competed on season five of the singing competition Nashville Star, where she placed seventh. Shortly after that, she was discovered professionally while living in Austin by producer Monty Robinson for his independent record label Triple Pop. She collaborated with the Josh, excuse me, Josh Abbott Band in 2010 on the song Oh Tonight. And then did two acoustic recordings for oh. Triple Pop. One was a cover of One Republic's Apologize, and the other was a cover of Miley Cyrus's See You Again. <laughs> they were both hits online, 
And uh, the Apologize cover ended up becoming number three on the Billboard charts and racked up 31 million streams on Spotify. Wow. So Dang. she blows up for a cover of a pop song that honestly is pretty fucking bad, but the, <laughs> the cover is good. There you go. I don't, I don't hate that song. You don't hate Apologize? No. I personally... Okay, maybe it's because I have bad memory. There was a kid in the grade above me who yeah. fucking died uh, when listening I was listening to seven. One Republic. No, he wasn't listening. <laughs> what he a way! To, what a way to go. He was, they, they didn't even do that in Top Gun Maverick. They just played on the beach. They didn't oh, die to One Republic. <laughs> oh God, no. The, <laughs> he died, and that was when that song was popular. And he died literally a kilometer from my house. Oh, so like, that's sad, like that's like point eight miles. I oh. don't know the exact it, cons- conversion. Is it uh, is it too late to apologize for making a joke? Uh, no, it's, <laughs> it sucks because he was the top five of his class. Too. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> he was he was gonna be top five. <laughs> Actually, his class had ten students. Oh, there you so go. He would have. Wow. He would have been top ten. Honestly, still top ten. Well, well we yeah. know he came in tenth place. So that's good. <laughs> God, I really, I really hope his family isn't listening because then they lost two more children a few years later. Oh no! Oh no! That's moving on. We'll cut this. We apologize. I, I don't think we have to cut it. It's Is it just... too late to apologize? <laughs> too late. Jesus. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Shortly after that, she joined Lady A on their European tour in 2012. Oh, yes. Uh, Lady A being Lady, formerly Lady Antebellum. Mm. Uh, okay, so this is a question that I have, because I don't exactly understand what uh, was bad about Antebellum. What, what does Antebellum mean? It refers to the South during the slavery period. So, oh. like, when slavery was legal, it refers to just the Southern area i guess um during that time period so it's it's like it's related directly to slavery which is probably why they changed it same with dixie chicks yeah jack was going to chime in with the dixie chicks stuff yeah chicks exactly and then confederate railroad had to change their name too i'm like i don't know how they stayed so long with confederate railroad (laughs) i also don't even know who that is i just know that's one of the names that had to change (laughs) yeah that's actually super interesting because uh that wouldn't have been something that we learned like okay in in canada we learn a lot of american history as it's very connected to canadian history um but that's not one of the things that we would have known is no you don't go as in depth yeah we talk like the war of 1812 the civil war and that sort of thing, but you don't go as in depth as you probably would. You know, you know the key players in every yeah, one of those, but yeah. you don't know like you don't get the deep cuts. You don't no. get the the lingo or the slang of the era. Yeah, because our, <laughs> our our history is so much more. I'm not we sure can't the... tell you about Canada. We don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> okay, honestly, well... growing up in Missouri, public school education around slavery was not that great either. Oh, so I don't know. Honestly, public school in general think... is pretty fucking bad because I. Uh, so, like, uh, one of the things that's been a hot topic for about a year and a half now has been, like, because uh, all of these residential schools in Canada have been, you know, uh, they've been discovering these mass graves that have sometimes, like, a thousand kids buried in a grave. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we were in school, and the curriculum is changing now, but when we were in school, there was literally a two-sentence line in the textbook that said, uh, uh, re- in residential schools... The students learned useful skills like agriculture, math, and sewing. And, like, that was literally it. And, like, the flip side of that 
my grandma who had been uh like she's uh she's cree and had narrowly avoided that whole system she was like telling me when i was a little kid like by the way this is the whole thing that happened so when that came up in like grade 11 i was like actually there was more to this and then my teacher was like no there isn't and i was like there is and she's like no and i was like "Uh oh (laughs) (laughs) yeah little little do you know um Okay, so uh, the her debut album, uh, same trailer, different park, released on March nineteenth, twenty thirteen, and it eventually tied Taylor Swift and Lord for most nominations for a female artist at the Grammys that year, for best new artist, best country album, and best country song for both Mama's Broken Heart and Merry Go Round. Merry Go Round won the Grammy for best country song, and same t- trailer, different park won in best country album. So. She her debut album nah. just fucking kills it. Like it's critically and commercially a massive success. And then she followed that up by touring with Willie Nelson, Katy Perry, and one of her all-time inspirations, Alison Krauss. Wait, in one tour or separate? Uh, separate tours. That would be a fucking okay, cool. cool tour. That's a hell of a lineup. Yeah. That would be a hell of a lineup. <laughs> Lollapalooza 2012. Um <laughs> Okay, so now we're going to get into notable tracks here. Yep. Um, I only wrote down two because they were the two that charted, but I did want to bring up Trigger with Willie Nelson because that song is great, and also it's nice to see Willie kind of like taking a backseat in, uh, in that song and just doing backing vocals. Um, but the two tracks that we got to talk about for sure, Biscuits, which the music video for which was directed by Mark Classfield, who directed videos for everyone from Slipknot to Jay-Z. It peaked at Billboard on uh, number one for best country song of 2015, and it was certified gold. Nice. And then Dime Store Cowgirl peaked at number 44 on the Billboard Hot Country. Roughstock named it number three on their top 30 singles of 2015, and uh, she performed the song at the CMA Awards and on Kimmel. Hmm. Um, both great songs. Both any other any other tracks? Wait, triggers triggers is this trigger the last song on the? It album? is. Yeah. It's the bonus track. The hidden track. Yeah. Bonus one. List it because I mean, like it goes silent for like two minutes and then it starts playing on the record. Oh, that's cool. wait really? Yeah. Yeah. Now, now for you two, are there any tracks besides the ones we mentioned that stand out to you as either one of your favorite songs from the album or you know one one worth talking about? I love family is family personally. That's one of my favorites on there. Just the turns of phrases of like they own too much wicker and drink too much liquor. Mm. Feels very accurate as someone who grew up with the family. The motto family is family, right? You got to love your family and stand by them, and uh, no matter what. And I think it, it's it's just nice. I like I like that she is uh, playing on on certain like traditional country elements and then just going wild from there. So, what about you, Jack? I'm curious. I love biscuits, but I, I probably have to go. Probably just go late to the party. I just love that song. It has such a simple arrangement. I love the guitar part. It's really fun to play. Um, I just and I love the the premise of the song. I'm not a I'm not a tardy person, but I feel like that song got me in the mindset of all of my friends who are late to everything. <laughs> and I understand true. And I'm like, you know what? I don't hate you guys anymore. That's cool. Um, and then also, the song Cup of Tea, go listen to that song, and then go listen to This Town Sucks, and you're going to hear a lot of influence. Mm. <laughs> That's actually really funny. Directly. 
I yeah, I we wanted... just directly that was our reference. Go for it. That, yeah, I think we've just ripped off the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> that little like children's dinky dinky keyboard sound. Mm-hmm. We just asked our producer, like, do you have that this dinky keyboard? So ding ding ding. He goes, yeah, I got that. Like, Can we just do that? Just put that in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, Cup of Tea has that all over the place. So nice. thanks, Casey and Shane McAnally. McAnally. There you go. McAnally. I'm saying it right now. There you go. All right. There you go. All right. So go. let's get into the reception. So on Metacritic, it has a 78 out of 100. And writing for uh, Hits Daily Double, Lenny Beer and Simon Glickman called pageant material an album for the ages, comparing its greatness to Adele's 21 and adding... It's a nearly perfect set. Mm-hmm. Now, we got to bring up nearly. our good friend of the podcast. <laughs> mm. You know who I'm going to say? Oh, this fucking reviewer. What's his name? Stephen oh, Thomas oh, yeah. Earlwine <laughs> of All Music. Who does he review? This he, guy. This fucking guy. <laughs> nah, fuck this guy. He rated the album four out of five stars. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good yeah. for him. And he stated Whoa. that pageant material favors softness, sometimes nearly swooning in its slowness especially on the gorgeous keynote high time and the closer fine both so deliberate and hazy they invoke memories of lazy high school dances mm. so he gave a good <laughs> review for once yeah that's nice usually this guy's a fucking twat so <laughs> it's, he gives every every album we like a shitty fucking review so it's nice that he's on board so way to go fucking steven <laughs> way to go we got you guys should find the if you do another country album, you should look up the reviews on savingcountrymusic.com. That guy rips into everything I like. And, um, I don't know who he is. He just started a website. <laughs> yeah, we've had, we've had a couple beefs along the way. Like a lot of things, a lot of the Rolling Stone reviews we fucking have beef with. Um, and then this guy fucking anything he says from all music, he can fuck himself. Cause, except this time. This time he's good. I might have to take this back. He's bad. We like yeah. him. we like him today. He's nice to take him. We like him today. <laughs> and, and honestly, I feel like I feel like the doohickeys. Uh, uh, let's just say that we think that about him because if he ever reviews their music, yeah. I don't want him to fucking give you guys a shit rating. Because he loves like, you guys. Yeah, he's <laughs> you guys going, love him. <laughs> he's going to love you guys. You guys love him. That's the rumor around town. Yeah. That's right. We love that guy. Love him. Yeah. <laughs> Go way back. We got a fan Go club. Way, way back. Yeah. All right. So the album debuted at number three on Billboard, and it was nominated for the CMA Album of the Year and the Grammy for Best Country Album. So pretty well received. Mm-hmm. Generally favorable. Uh, now, every episode on Misfits on Vinyl, we give the album a review out of 10. And this review comes down to... The technical element, the musical element, the lyrical element, the album art, the reception, and does it hold up? Mm-hmm. On the technical element, production-wise, it's very clear. It's very crisp. It sounds uh, it sounds like if you were taking uh, old-school country uh, style, but recording it with current equipment and making it not sound like it's coming through a tube phone. Mm-hmm. Um I would say that, uh, like, uh, on the production element, I'd give it, like, an 8.5 out of 10. Yeah, I'm coming in somewhere around an 8, I think. 8? What about you two? 10. 10. <laughs> I think I'll give it, yeah, 8, 9, 10. I'm in the up A range. Eight, I'd say 9. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no notes. I'm going to give 10. Just so you know, it's going to be 10 on everything. I have no notes for this. Album. Okay, perfect. <laughs> My note is a 
All right. My note and your note, Jack, your note is that she shouldn't have named another song somebody to love. But oh, that's... yeah. Yeah, I agree it, with that. All right. Do the, All right. The yeah, knock that now. shit down. She's got to lose a point for that. Because there's not a song <laughs> called Somebody to Love? Well, because there's the famous Queen song. You can't name any song somebody to love after Queen knocked it out of the park. You gotta come up with something else. No, that's you know what? That's a valid, valid point. So right now we're at an eight point six two five. An eight point six two five. Okay. On the musical element, usually I do the math in my head, but there's four of us, so this is gonna get <laughs> yeah, tricky. <laughs> I'm even struggling doing it on the calculator. Um Okay, um, <laughs> on the musical element, uh there's a lot of instruments on this album. Like, honestly, looking at the liner notes of it, there was a shit ton of sessional musicians coming in, sometimes to just mm-hmm. play one instrument. But uh, I liked that it was a modern country album that incorporated a banjo in a realistic way that wasn't just strumming it like a guitar. Um, I really liked their incorporation of uh, the steel guitar in this, and I liked that there was some weird elements that just came in or, like, it, for instance, on the first song, High Time, there's whistling, but it's not done in an obnoxious way. It actually adds to the song. So I'd probably go a 9 out of 10 on, on the musical element. Mm. I mean, I don't – you put that really, really great, actually. Um, I, I, I agree uh, most part. Yeah, I'd say, um, like, a lot of the guitar riffs are really, really good, too. Like, I, even, like, the one in – I keep talking about the song, but, um, you know – it's fucking solid, like a lot of the guitar playing. So I'll go an eight, eight and a half. We'll make it eight and a half, make the math fun. Sam, are you doing the math? Okay, good, <laughs> good, <laughs> good. Now I gave up. I gave up. <laughs> Once I got I was like, how do I take this score and then add it up to the next score? And then, uh, yeah, no, I'll go eight and a half. Yeah, eight and a half. All right, uh, what about y'all? Ten. Ten. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> I would say... I love Casey. I love her singing, but I would love her to belt a little bit more. So I'll give it a nine out of 10 mm-hmm. just because I want her to go a little bit more with the vocals on that album. She does on Golden Hour a bit more, I think, but I, that's my only critique. Yeah, I think she's, that, that's great. That's a really good point because, yeah, you can feel the power in her voice, but she doesn't always tap into it. I was going to talk about that too. That reminded me of something I was thinking about. You can really feel the raw power in her voice, but she doesn't always go for it, right? So um, that's a really good point yeah. there. All right, so I think we're at a 9 out of 10 right now. <laughs> I am assuming so. Yeah, we're at a 9 yeah, out of 10. Yeah, that works. All right. <laughs> uh, lyrically, we've we've talked about it, about her songwriting. Like, mm. she obviously is, is speaking off of lived experiences, and she's really on this album speaking, like Jack said, to a point of view of be yourself and fuck everyone else. It, just be yourself and everything will work out. Um but she doesn't do it in a way that seems hokey. She does it in a way that's pretty, like, it's very genuine. It's very real. So I would I would rate her lyrics pretty high. I'd probably say a 9 out of 10. Yeah, I, like I commented on earlier, I think there's a genuineness to what she's talking about. And I'll go a 10. I'll go with Jack on this. I'm going a 10. Yeah, but I'm going for the 10, too. I think it's just perfect lyrics. Does love fall into that, though? Does what? Somebody to love? Yeah. Uh, We'll just, I, I we'll like that song too. What? No. Oh, no. no. You can't like that song. If she titled it something else, I would think it was a great song. I think it's just <laughs> the title that throws me off. Yeah. Maybe she named it something. Yeah. She probably could have named it anything. To love somebody. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Yeah. Good rewrite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So right now we're at a 9.5 out of 10. Yeah. I'm assuming so. Yeah. All right. 
Uh, quick math. Uh, album art. Okay, I think that it's 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 really well done. Do I think that it's something that would catch my eye if I was walking, like if I was flipping through records at a record Mine's store? Mine's glittery. It's glittery. Ooh, that adds to it. Mine's glittery. Look at that. Okay, that adds to it. So that that's, that's gonna bump it up. And then the back's glittery. Okay, so the glitter is making it bump up a bit here. Mm. But I, I would say, like, the, the actual idea behind the art, while it matches the album, I don't think that it's necessarily something that's, like, uh, you know, uh, like, wildly original. So I would go lower on album art. I'd honestly probably go a 7 on the album art. Yeah, I mean, it's fairly standard. I'll, I'll go an 8. Just, I mean, she's, she's gorgeous. <laughs> that adds to it, too. And it's a nice-looking album cover. I'll go an 8. Yeah. I'll say like a yeah, seven. Okay. I'll give you the seven. I'll agree on that. Yeah, I think it's yeah. fair. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Simple ain't bad. No, that's true. I wouldn't frame it on my wall or anything. No. Yeah. All right. So, like, I could have made this. This seems like a poster I would make. Mm. Yeah, like that. Yeah. That seems like something that I could do with my own camera. Yeah. You know, and Canva. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> that's how I feel about all of her album covers. They all kind of are just like I think it is because she. She and her sister did the first couple themselves, I believe. Mm. So, like, no budget. Oh, then I love it. No nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Keep it in the fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, now, reception. It had generally favorable reviews, uh, but I will say she's had higher success with uh, a couple of her albums, specifically her debut and Golden Hour, because those were the two that won Grammys. Uh, so I would put the reception i'd have to give it what metacritic did which was they said 78 out of 100 i would probably go 7.5 out of 10 yeah yeah that's fair i'll go i'll go seven and a half that's fair i agree is it our rating or is it our rating of how people received it it's our that's a good question we've never discussed we've this. actually yeah we're like 18 episodes in <laughs> nobody's actually asked us <laughs> yeah, that. no, this is I think this is her best album, in my okay, opinion. Okay, fair enough. This is my favorite one. So, like, that's why it's 10 out of 10. I just, I like the songs a lot more, and they're a little bit more groovy than the other ones. Like, Golden Hour's got a, a bunch of great songs, but it's uh, it's a little bit more popular. But this one mm-hmm. is, like, well, it has a lot of stringed instruments, which I really like. Mm-hmm. And more memorable songs to me than uh, Same Trailer, Different Park. I kind of like pop right with organic instrumentation, I think, is my jam. That makes sense. I think it's on par with Same Trailer, Different Park for me. I think there are certain songs on that one that just really are my favorite Casey songs, but but I think it, it's a close tie. <laughs> All right, um, so right now 7.5. We're at we're at an eight point two five out of ten. Okay, that sounds good. And the final question, does it hold up? Absolutely. I would say yes. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. All right. So yeah. it's at an eight point two five out of ten. That that's good. That's good rating. That's good rating. All right. That's better than Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. <laughs> yeah, it is. We we <laughs> we do- we docked Bruce a little bit for his creepy lyrics. Yeah, his creepy yeah. lyrics really <laughs> fucked Specif- him. Spe- specifically in Hey I'm little girl, there. is your daddy yeah. home? Did yeah. he go and leave <laughs> you all alone? Yeah. It's uh as I, I- also the song Born in the USA. People in America like it, although it's a huge critique on it. So does the song kind of fail if 
people don't know, it's like, mm-hmm. hey, America, get your shit together. Same with like a, there's a we, John we, Mellencamp we song. Talked that, we, we talked about Little that, Pink too. Houses. That song rocks. I have no fucking idea what it's about, but it's criticizing the hell out of the U.S. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> what are we, t- we talk about how they sent me over to shoot the yellow man. Yeah. It's like really good, good lyrics, Bruce. Yeah, yeah good job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very, very cringe in that department. Yeah. Okay, so before we wrap up, before we get out of here, uh, tell us your socials and tell us uh, where people can find you. Uh, YouTube, Instagram, yada yada. I want to hand it over to y'all. Y'all. <laughs> yeah, on Instagram and on TikTok, I believe we are the period doohickeys um, because yeah. the space or the underscore doohickeys is like children. So the period doohickeys. Um, <laughs> no punctuation. SpongeBob meme page that I think is private or something. I don't know. We yeah. couldn't figure out how to get access to it, so we had to make we put a we put a dot. Nice. <laughs> we did, and then our website is uh, thedoohickeysband.com. You can check us out there. YouTube, we're the Doohickeys. I don't know if we have, we have a Facebook page, but does you find the website, happen? you'll find it all, and then you can find our personals through there as well. Yeah. And exactly. do you guys have any shows coming up? Because uh, this is going to come out in like uh, two, two weeks. weeks. Yeah. So, do you have any shows coming up end of February into March or April? In on March sixteenth, we're playing at Desert Five Spot in Hollywood. It's a rooftop country bar. Um, it was really really cool. If you've not been to uh, to it yet, come All out. All our Los yeah. Angeles listeners. Yeah, it's a great bar and a really fun place to hang. And uh, we'll be playing some country tunes there. Hell yeah! March sixteenth. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, thank Any you both so much for coming on. Yeah, um, we we appreciate you guys taking your time out and spending some time having some fun and shooting some shit and talking some music it's, and farting apparently. Yeah, it's fucking, much. Uh, Jesus Christ, yeah, it's yeah. much appreciated. We thank hey, you very thank much. You for thank having. you for your time. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, I guess one thing I have to plug really quickly yep. before I get out of here because I forgot both episodes yesterday. Uh, Vancouver Island and Kelowna in uh, May. I'm going to be coming to you, so look out for the tickets. They're going to be coming up soon. Uh, it's my first headlining tour. Please come out. I really don't want to suck. Thank you. And uh, shout out to the Vitos for the theme song, as always. Yep. Um, thank you guys for listening. Um, it's been fun. All right. Anal contusions. Cheers. Actually, <laughs> McAnally contusions. Nice. Uh. Thank you for listening to this episode of Misfits on Vinyl, hosted by Spencer Streichert and me, Aaron Walsh, and of course produced by Sam Sam the Tech Man, Sam Lindsay. If you like us, please rate us, subscribe to us, share us. Our socials are Misfits on Vinyl Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to send us an email with any suggestions or criticisms, uh, we love that shit, so send it away. It's Misfits on Vinyl at gmail.com. We love you guys. Thank you. <laughs>